right, church. Good to see you. Way to be the uh, way to be the church, and that's going to be one of a number of stories you're going to hear uh, the month of December. And let me uh, just say also, it is it's awesome to just do life with you, and uh, the way that your generosity, even since the start of the pandemic, you know, 19 years ago or whenever that was started. Um, but in all seriousness, you know, when you got 19 months ago or whatever that was. Uh, with the 828 Strong Initiative to the servers around Western North Carolina and how that morphed into a number of different things. And then now Big Give, as I said, this is the, uh, you, it's already the most uh, generosity this month that, that we'll ever be, have ever shown when you put in compassion and some of the things that are going to be going on. And again, one of the things we talk about all the time is we want, to, uh, we want to declare the gospel. The gospel is about what God has done. It's about what God has done in Christ, the person work of Jesus. We also want to demonstrate that, all right? We want to share it with our words, and we want to, we want to show it with, with the way we live and the way that we minister to the people that God has put right here. And so we're all about uh, Southeast Asia. We're all about compassion and Ecuador, but it also starts right here in the A28, all right? And so what we're going to see over the next month is a huge emphasis on the A28. This uh, year has provided us plenty, plenty of ways to, uh, to minister to people and that's one of a, a number of stories that you are going to hear, and I'll share a few specifics at the end or here in a little bit, uh, and you'll see those stories uh, each week, uh, including Christmas Eve, all right? Um, let me just say this also. I know I want to say hello to the other campuses from because uh, Hendersonville, Franklin, you know, East Asheville, West Asheville, Brevard, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's a part of this, and Big Give is that kind of congregational pulling together to minister to the communities that God has put us in. And so if you're watching online, I know a bunch of you all are. I want to say uh, Janet from uh, Weaverville, Weaver Vegas, up in the uh, north part uh, of, uh, of our area. Natalie from Buena Vista, Virginia. Cindy from Lake Odessa, Minnesota. All right, you're in for some cold weather, so we'll pray for you, but thanks for visiting us. So, hey, take your Bibles, turn to the book of First John. All right, the campus guys uh, did a phenomenal job last week on First John, and if you haven't been with us, we're in a series and have been since January called The Year of the Bible, The Year of the Bible. And what we did is we started in January in the book of Genesis, and we're going to end, believe it or not, the online 26th is going to be uh, out of the, the last chapter of the Bible and out of the book of Revelation chapter 22. And in between there, what we've seen is we have seen that the Bible has some 30, I think it's 31,000 verses, all right? It has 3,000 plus characters, but every verse and every character is really talking about one character and talking about one big story, and that's the story of God and him coming to rescue his people. And what we saw is in the Old Testament, all the Old Testament can be summarized by saying he is coming. He's coming from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the sacrificial system, all the way through the prophets. It's like there's a rescuer who is coming. And then John the Baptist steps out on the front porch and he says, you know what? The rescuer has come. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then so the Gospels are like, he's come, he's come, he's come. And then the book of Acts is the story of how this Savior who came and lived the way we should have lived and then died in our place rescued a people and then sent them out on a mission. And so the book of Acts is the first 30 years of the largest, most diverse movement in all of human history called the church. And as that thing exploded and then went all over the world and found its way eventually to Western North Carolina, there are then what's called the epistles. And the epistles are a section in your Bible that are letters that apostles wrote to individual congregations just like our congregation here. 
And it tells them, all right, here's how you respond to the gospel. Here's how you respond. Here's how your life now needs to reflect what God has done for you in the person and work of Jesus. And so in the book of 1 John, almost toward the end, he starts talking about you should have some assurance that you are actually a believer to begin with. Some people say, you know what, you should kind of always be unsure and maybe that'll make you work harder. Actually, the opposite is true. What John is going to say over and over again, and he summarizes it in the fifth chapter, the last chapter, when he says, listen, he who believes in the Son of God has life. He who does not believe in the Son of God does not have the life. And so he's like, throughout the book, throughout these five chapters, he's talking about marks, talking about pictures, talking about things that should be in your life that would make you say, all right, this is evidence that I'm actually a believer to begin with. And if they're not there, i got to kind of ask the question because Jesus is like, hey, there's a bunch of religious people, moral people, Bible-believing people that in the end, according to Matthew 7, he's like, depart from me, I never knew you. And so he goes through these marks. And when I say about marks, what came to mind is I think in March or so, I had to go get... uh, uh, do my skills test on a motorcycle. Now, I don't have a motorcycle, but I like to ride them, and you got to have a license to do it. And so because of the pandemic was going on, you had to make a appointment to go and do a skills test. And so there was no place around here that had an appointment open, so I went out to Brevard. And so when I went out to Brevard, I went in there. There's another whole story to kind of some fun stuff that went on, but a skills test is what it sounds like, all right? I borrowed a buddy's motorcycle, went out there, and they run you through these different things, some cones, and can you stop, and can you start, and do you know how to, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then when we go in there, he uh, quickly, he sits down, he's filling it out, and He's like, hey, look there, boom, and he takes a picture. And this picture, I'm 6'3", and this camera's like five feet tall, all right? And I say that for this reason. Here's the picture, because they said, okay, this is now going to be both your car and your motorcycle licenses combined. That's the worst picture in the history of mankind. That's a chicken neck, man, turkey neck, whatever. I was like, that is terrible. I said, anybody, anybody really like, I love my, I love my driver's license picture. Anybody? No. No, take that off, man. That's just, that, that, that's, but here's what it is about that picture. What he said and what you know if you ever fly is you go into TSA and they put these markings inside your license to prove the authenticity or the genuineness that that is you, that you are who you say you are. And then if those markings are not there, they're like, all right, out of line. This is not you. You are a fake you are an imposter. It's not you. And First John, John does the same thing. And he says, listen, if these marks are not in you, and even in a sense growing in you, then you are actually, you're, you're fooling yourself. And so in chapter one, he talks about how you deal with sin. Do you understand your need for the gospel? Do you agree with God that, you know what, I need rescuing Then in chapter 2, it says, all right, how do you actually, how do you chase after God? How do you follow God? Not perfectly, but your direction has changed. And then in chapter 3, I'm going to give you a quiz. In chapter 3, I'm going to read the text. I'm going to see if it's going to be, even in these first few verses, it's used four times. Then he says a third mark, a third characteristic that shows that you are a believer is this. And if it's not, then you need to be worried. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Is, uh, I'm in 1 John. I'm in chapter 3. And I'm going to start. We're going to go 10 I'm going to go 10 to 15, then we're going to finish with 16, 17, and 18 before taking the Lord's Supper. Here's what he says. See if you can guess which one he's talking about. By this, it is evident. There's the proof I'm talking about. It's evident. There's a mark. It's something that shows externally what's true internally. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. If you're new to Bible study, Cain's an Old Testament figure early on in Genesis chapter 4. We'll come back to that. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. But we know, we know, we experientially understand, we've thought about it, we have evidence, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So let me give you a couple of things to kind of uh, put some thoughts on. First of all, this is love is proof. Love is proof. That's kind of what I said at the start. Love proves, love for your other, your brother proves you have a love for God. And if there is no love for your brother, then the question is, do you actually have a love for God? Now here's what he says in verse 11. He says, you've heard from the beginning. You've heard from the beginning. In other words, he's saying this is not a new thing. This is an old thing. Now, commentators debate, does this go back to Leviticus where God told Israel, hey, you guys love your neighbor, or does this simply go back to like the early days when Jesus was discipling his disciples, and including John, when he says like, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, here's a little insight. John, the guy that wrote this book, John was arguably the youngest disciple when he got called to follow Jesus. And John wasn't always a real loving dude. You understand that? John's nickname early on was called the Sons of Thunder. He was part of the Sons of Thunder. He and his brother like, you know what? Sons of Thunder, when you nickname somebody, you're telling them, this is what you remind me of. Loud, boisterous, you're a son of thunder. And it showed. There's one place where the Samaritans, who the Jews really hated, and John was a Jew, he, true story, he's like, Jesus, why don't you fry those Samaritans like bacon, all right? Why don't you do that? Why don't you just bring fire down and fry that guy? Not a loving guy. But what was amazing is, as John grew and as John walked with Jesus, his nickname changed because his character changed. Now listen, this is super important today. It's not that he started abdicating the truth. It's not that he started going away from the truth. What he did is he started taking the truth and held on to it just as tightly, but he added into it love, and so he actually began to be known as an apostle or the apostle of love. And so he grew in his love for other people. He loved God, but then he began to love people. And so here's the question I got for you. Are you growing in your love for people? Do you grow in your love for people? Do you love people now more than you did a year ago? Do you love people now more than you did five years ago? Do you love your family longer? Do you love more kinds of people than you did a few years ago? And I hope you're like me. You're like, well, I'm just not a loving person. I'm type A and German and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I didn't grow up in that. And so don't ask me to be kind of lovey-dovey. It's like, listen, yes, fine. But you're in Christ now. And if you're in Christ, that means you are to be a loving person. And so... Uh, John learned that, and the question is, are we learning that? And um, I know we're confused about love. I know love is like, in today's society, love is like the trumpets or, you know, the French horns blowing or, uh, 
you know, the Beatles like, all you need is love. And they broke up, so they obviously didn't understand what love was either. And so the whole idea was, you know, what love, the definition of love that he uses here is a mixture of will plus action. It's like four words he could have used. He used the one that says, you know what, this is an act of my will, and this is also something that's going to translate into what I actually do for people. And so we're like, I don't really understand that. That's kind of hard for me to understand. So he gives us a graphic example. He said, don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain, whose deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, let me get to the side here. Okay, we got Bible here. We got Bruce here. There's, there's always been this debate on what was it that Cain did that made his offering. Because what happened is in Genesis chapter 4, there's two sons from Adam and Eve. You got Cain and Abel, and they're one, you know, Abel's the guy that's like, he's the hunter, all right? He's the carnivore. He's the guy that like traps and hunts and drives a truck, and that's, that's Abel, all right? You got Cain over here, and Cain's a farmer, all right? Cain's like, he does stuff in the ground. And so they bring an offering to God, and God rejects Cain's and accepts Abel's, all right? And there's all this debate about why is that, and, and honestly, I don't really know. There's a good argument to be made that, you know what, this was a picture of sacrifice, that blood was going to be shed, that later on the sacrificial system would picture, and then Jesus obviously dying on the cross. There's a, obviously it does do that, but is that what they knew then? I don't know. Again, this is Bruce, and I'm not 100% sure, but in looking at it this week, there's actually a phrase in there that says, in the course of time, Cain brought his offering to God. And it's the idea that Cain, it's like whenever he got around to it, I'm going to bring God my leftovers because just in a couple of verses, it actually says Abel brought his first fruits. In other words, Cain is like, you know what, whatever, God, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. But either way, what happens is Cain does that, God rejects his offering, and then he goes to this. He says, and we know, and by the way, Cain gets ticked off and he kills his brother, kills his brother. And it says this, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love abides in death. Again, one of the things we got to be clear on is this is the gospel. And this has to be clear in our minds as a church and you as an individual. This is what distinguishes a Christian church from a religious organization is an understanding of the gospel. And the gospel says here, again, he's saying this over and over. He's like, you have passed from death into life. And so Christianity is not about making bad people good or good people better. It's about making dead people, spiritually dead people, and then breathing life into them and making them alive. That's why when people are baptized, they have this thing called Jesus in my place t-shirts. Why? Because Jesus died the death you and I deserve to die. And when we repent and embrace him, what he gives us life. And so the rest of our lives is meant not trying to earn his favor, but living in light of the favor we get because of what Jesus has done. All right, that makes all the difference in the world. And so here's where it gets kind of confusing. In verse 15, it says, but he who hates his brother is a murderer. Why? Like, okay, okay, like I hate some people, but I, I never killed anybody. Why would God say it's basically the same thing in his eyes? Obviously, consequences are different, but the idea is you got to remember God sees the heart. God sees your heart, and if there's this obstinate, I hate this person, it's not that you struggle with it. We all struggle with people that do us wrong. We all do. This is church. Can we be honest? 
we struggle. I mean, I struggle with people who drive slow on 26 in the left-hand lane. So just even if you just take that, all right? So the idea is it's not that you don't ever, you're just like walking around with a, on a class. That's not what it is. It's the idea that my mind and my heart has been changed, and so now I see people completely different. And my goal is if I'm in a bad spot with somebody, I'm going to hit my knees and I'm going to end up getting in a good place with somebody. Because people can be, correct me if I'm wrong, some people can be, I don't know, difficult at times, correct? Do not, do not elbow your spouse at this time. That would be a very poor play on your part. People can be difficult. And the idea you got to remember is, you know what? You can be that people sometime. Sometime that's you. And what the gospel reminds us of is while we were still sinners, Christ loved us. And so he says, in light of that, you're supposed to live a different way. You're supposed to live differently, look differently. And where we sometimes deal with it in the South, here's the way it is in the South. And I'm from the South. I mean, I was born in Atlanta. I mean, I went to Texas, but got back to the South as quick as I could. So the idea is this. In the South, there's a saying that is true, but it's incomplete. And that's not bless your heart. That's what some of y'all are thinking. Bless your heart, Christian cussing. That's not what I was actually going to say. We have, we have a deal. We have a deal that says a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. I'm all for that. And it is true as far as that goes when it means you can't inherit your relationship with God through your grandmom or through your mom or nobody else can inherit that for you. My buddy Joby says, thinking you becoming a Christian by going to church is like putting your head in an oven, uh, make, we'll make you a biscuit, all right? So that's like, it, it, it just doesn't do that. But, but personal relationship is the idea that, you know what, we all have to at some point answer the question that Pilate asked, and it's like, what should I do with this man Jesus? What should I do? That is individual. That is personal. You have to personally do that. You have to personally do that. But... If it comes to this, like, I'm, my faith is individual, my faith is by itself, and I, what I would say is that's not it at all. Because he says, if your horizontal is messed up, you can't be bragging about your vertical. If you're saying, you know what, I love Jesus, but I don't like church, or I don't like my brothers, or I don't care what they think at all, there's like something's askew there. That's why he says, he says, by this, we know love and then it says that he laid down his life for the brethren. By this we know. That's the definition of love. That's the definition of love. Definition of love is what? Is what God did for us. You got to get that down first. Reason that we serve people, the reason that we mud out houses, is not because it's in vogue. The reason we do it is because God did that for us in the gospel. And some of you are like, you know what? We question, does God love me? And we look around at our circumstances. Don't do that. Because sometimes your circumstances are awesome and sometimes they're awful. The reason you can say, I know God loves me, is you can look back at a cross 2,000 years ago and say, I know he loved me then and he's not changed his mind. He's not had buyer's remorse. He's not said, man, if I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now, I would not do that. That's not it at all. And you're like, well, how does that mix in with murder? This is why what you and I do is fueled by the gospel. Your activity is fueled from your identity. Listen to me listen real carefully. What you and I do, compassion, mercy, 
if it's not fueled by the gospel, will eventually tire out. If it's fueled by the gospel, it will continually give it fresh life as you're amazed by the gospel. And guess what? Then you're like, I want to I want to believe the gospel, and then I want to behave the gospel. And so when you look at this text, the definition of love is the person and work of Jesus. Jesus became the murderer on the cross. Jesus became the sinner on the cross for you and I. And if you're new to our church, one of the verses we go to all the time that encapsulates that, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be sin. Just rest in that for a minute, to be sin. He actually was my sin. He took my sin on himself. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so your identity, you know what? That's not who I, you know what? I'm not who I was. I'm not who I was. I'm a daughter, I'm a, daughter, I'm a son of God in faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to be a different person because I am a different person. And so uh, one of the things that we talk about all the time is it's like, look at the little phrase there in your Bible. Just underline that little phrase, we know. I spent a lot of time on that we know because I was like, what does it mean we know? Here's what, here's what the kind of thing encapsulated. The epistles, now check this. A lot of times we look at the epistles as, as how-to manuals. Don't we? When I mean, you think of, if you're an old Bible study person, you think of like a book of Ephesians, you think of things like, uh, well, man, in chapter 5, it tells me how to be a, well, it tells me how to be a, a husband, and it tells me how to be a wife, and in chapter 6, it tells me how to be a parent, and, you know, in, in Colossians, or in the pastoral epistles, it tells me what to do with my money, and it's like a how-to do this. But in reality, every single epistle, by the way, was written to believers, was written to believers, and every single epistle reminds the believers of the gospel so that the gospel then fuels their activity. And so what he's always saying is this, believe what God said about what Jesus has done, come back to it over and over again, so much so that it affects change in the way that you live and in what our discussion is today, the way that we love other people. So this one's that indicative imperative when it's like, I've done this, so you do this. You're like, well, how are we supposed to do that? So love is proof. Love is proof. But here's the part. Love is super practical. Love is super practical. Love actually does some stuff. Love actually does some stuff. So here's what he says in verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And here's his example. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk. That's definitely a part of loving people, speaking the word in truth. He's talking about in contrast, not only, but in, but in deed and in truth. Listen, this is just this is the normal response for the church and for the believer. So people are like, oh, you guys are doing a bunch of stuff. Listen, it's just what we ought to do. It's the normal response of a person who has received a ton of mercy to then show mercy. It should be the normal response when I've been given and been blessed a bunch to then turn around and be a conduit of that blessing. 
The one that came to mind is uh, the movie, and it goes back a few years, The Incredibles, all right? Incredibles. It's like there's one perfect line in that movie. All right, and spoiler alert, here's the way the movie basically goes. There's like a superhero dad, and he's like, I'm not the person I want to be. I'm like, I'm different. I'm not this person. I'm not this person. And so he starts to think about being a superhero, and he starts doodling on a, on a sketchboard all these uniforms and all these, all these costumes for a superhero, and he would draw these capes on them. And as he drew this, he then took it to one of his friends, Edna Elda, I can't remember her name. She's like, brought that to them. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's like, no, capes cause a lot of issues. Take the cape away, the cape away, take the cape away. Capes are always, they're getting caught in stuff. They're like getting sucked into a jet engine. Get rid of the capes. It's like, I want the capes. Superheroes wear capes. She's like, she's like, here's the great one in this kind of Swedish Germanic accent, whatever she was. She's like, no capes, no capes. I mean, that has got to be what we understand when we go out and we minister to people. No capes, all right? This is just what we ought to do. Our normal posture whether we're building homes or providing food or sharing the gospel, it's, listen, there's one hero. His name is Jesus, and he showed mercy to us, and we're just servants. We're the one that is supposed to act this way. It's like John the Baptist. You know what? When everybody was coming to him, it's like, John, everybody's following Jesus, and they're leaving you, and he's like, hey, it's awesome. It's awesome. I must decrease. He must increase. And that'll be like on your car I must decrease smaller me, make me smaller, make God bigger. And so here's where, here's where I would just say this. Love does do stuff. Love does do stuff. I'm going to press in a little bit here on you as an individual because I would say church-wise, this is probably the area, one of the areas that I would say our maturation together in the years has, has accelerated the most and it actually is extremely tangible. It's, it's the understanding that love does stuff. Now, recent history, in the last 50, 60, 80 years in our country, sometimes churches have seen these as competing with each other, the declaration of the gospel and the demonstration of the gospel. And they're not competitors. They're, they complement in some ways. But when you look at this, it's like love is going to do some stuff. And if love doesn't do some stuff, the question is, do you actually love them or not? I mean, picture this. Hey, some of you uh, parents in here, let me just, especially, let me just say dads. It can be moms as well, but I mean, I never had a daughter. I got a granddaughter. I can tell you it's going to be true, just as true for her in 36 years when she's allowed to date. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, right, if some guy's like, hey, I love your granddaughter, or I love your daughter, and they, Yahoo won't even like, but I don't really want to spend the gas. You guys kind of live out in the country. I don't want to spend the gas coming out there. Or you know what? I'm not going to buy dinner. Listen, call me old-fashioned, but Yahoo is not picking up your daughter, all right? Because you say you love her, but you won't even spend the money on gas to come and get her. And what this is pushing in on is if somebody were just to look at what you do for people that don't have as much as you do, would they say you love people? Listen, this is where nobody's going to check and Nobody's going to say how much you do, and nobody's going to ask if you sponsored a compassion child, or nobody's going to ask if you sponsored a family, or, you know, we'll know next Sunday afternoon, do you show up? Because bottom line is this, is most of us are not going to have to lay down our lives for the brethren, correct? 
Most of us won't have to do that, like the text says. And you ought to lay down your life. Most of us are not going to have to lay down our lives for the brethren like some of our brethren do in other parts of the world. And so God might just asking you to maybe lay down your afternoon so you can serve your community. He might just be asking you to kind of lay down three frappuccinos a week so you can sponsor a family. So when you look at this text, the the book of Acts, let me just say this real quick. Uh, In the book of Acts, you see both. This is... This needs to be articulated today because so much, so much scubalon goes out there about, you know, this church is whatever, this church is whatever. When you look in the book of Acts, you see both the proclamation of the gospel and then you see them the demonstration of the gospel. Without a doubt, please understand, our main job as a church is to proclaim the good news. The good news is not you and I restoring schools or feeding thousands of people. That's good, but that's not the gospel, okay? The gospel is not about the work you do. The gospel is about the work that Jesus has done on the cross. When he lived the life we should have lived, died in our place, that's the gospel. And so the book of Acts is heavy on proclamation. Chapter 2, Peter stands up and says, you know what? From the Old Testament all the way to the New, guess what? You crucified the Savior, repent and believe. Chapter 3, chapter 4, repent and believe the gospel and times of refreshing will come to you. Chapter 7, Stephen's about to get stoned. He goes all the way through the Old Testament. It's like, but you crucified the altar of life. But his hands are still open. So to be clear, the proclamation of the gospel is primary. It is primary. It is more important than restoring schools. You're like, why would you say that? Why would you say that? If you have to pick and you don't have to pick, but if you had to pick, the goal is not to give people a more comfortable place to go into a Christless eternity from. So the, the, the primacy of the gospel, nobody is saved by you and I restoring a school. They're saved by repenting and believing in what Jesus has done. Some of you are like, well, I like that old saying. It's like, you know what? Preach the gospel and whenever I, you need to use words. I don't mean to offend you, but that's, a, that's dumb. That's dumb. It is dumb. It's not even accurate. It's not accurate. Most people say that was St. Francis of Assisi. I don't think, think, most evidence says he didn't even ever say that, and if he ever did say it, it wasn't in context. He's not saying it to the exclusion of words, because people are not going to look at you and I restoring a classroom and go, oh, Jesus died the death that I deserve to die, right like that. That's not it. So proclamation is important, but demonstration, because here's what's happened in the history of our country in the last 100 years. Some denominations have gotten so in love with demonstrating the gospel, schools, et cetera, et cetera, they fell so in love with that, they got away from the proclamation of the gospel. And so now, Bible-believing churches like ours, sometimes we're like, oh, let's not get too serious about helping people because we'll get away from the gospel. Doesn't have to be that way. It's both and. It's the motivation to do it. It's not either or. It's you proclaim it and then you and I demonstrate it. How do you think hospitals, tons of hospitals, tons of orphanages, and I mean, you look in the book of Acts, some of it was miraculous, you had like healings, but some of it was like super practical stuff, like Tabitha getting these like, I don't know what you'd call them, what do you call those things that you put around yourself when they're cold in the winter? Not scarves, but thank you. Not that either, but um, whatever <laughs> it was. What's the, what's the word? Okay, we're going to have a Bible study next week. All right, so they do that. Let me take another. Stephen, like, you know, hey, let's help. Let's make sure the widows are taken care of. 
Very, very practical. So um, what are we doing? And by the way, uh, it's it, even when you, like next Sunday when thousands of y'all go out and you're like giving food boxes out, some of you are going to have the opportunity to then share the gospel. That's not always like, no, we're not giving you the food if you hear the gospel only. We're doing it. We're serving people because Jesus served us regardless of their response. You understand that? But there's times, because that's all evangelism is, is evangelism is just joining God in a conversation he's already having with somebody. You got to take all the pressure off you. All you're doing when you share your faith is you're joining a conversation that God's already having with that person. You're like, you got the metal detector on the beach. You're like, cold, 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 beep, 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 beep. And what would that look like? It's when you give the box and somebody says, hey, would you pray for me? And nobody's ever prayed for me before. You're like, no, I'm sorry, we got to get our boxes. No, no, you pray for them right there. Of course we'll pray for you. Do you know you can pray too? Well, how can I pray? We well, you know what Jesus provided a way for you to pray. All that being said, you're just joining a conversation God's already having. And so, whether we... Uh, you ask, why do we sponsor thousands of kids with compassion? Again, not because it's like the hip thing to do. It's because Jesus rescued us out of poverty. Why do we do foster care? Why do we do adoption? Because Jesus adopted us. Um, here's some things you've already done. And by the way, I love doing this after the fact because nobody's going to go, I brought a visitor and you hit us up for money. Listen, if you, if you don't do anything, if you don't, we have no other, if we have no other family sponsored, n- no other family sponsored. Here's what's already in place. All right. Um, you got, uh, it was 3,000 food boxes. A food box basically does about a week's worth of food. Those will be delivered next Sunday. But because you guys like smashed that generosity record, we've added 1,000 food boxes to be delivered a little bit later in January. And then we're able to scratch a check to Mana that will give 200,000 more meals uh, through Mana because of their buying power. There's like 75 dehumidifiers and heaters, gift cards. Uh, I'm supposed to not tell you all this, but the story we saw today, you're going to see that like multiplied by several times. Um, There's 84 other families that you've been able to help get people back into their homes. Uh, Washers, dryers. There's a church, East Fork Baptist Church, to help them get back into their building so they can minister to that community uh, that they're already in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So... Here's, uh, here's where it is. Um, so how do, I, how do I finish this to go into the Lord's Supper? And this, I'd never noticed this before, but I, mean, I noticed it, but I've never applied it before. Going back to Cain. Remember, I mean, Cain, if you look back there, it's like God put a mark on him. And then he basically wandered around in the wilderness for the rest of his life. Basically what he did. And then in this text, what he does, what is it? he uses Cain as an example of somebody that didn't love his brother, obviously because he murdered his brother. And so I put one and one together, and I thought, that's, that's it. You got a person, you got a person who didn't love people, and they wandered in the wilderness over and over and over again. And so the opposite is true. And I thought, God, help me to pray some prayer like this every single morning, that I would get up in the morning and say, God, if I don't get anything else done, if I don't get to cross out my list, if I don't get all my agenda done, help me to at least help me to love you and help me to spend time loving you and help me to spend time loving other people. Because you know what? If I don't get all that stuff done, but I get those two things done, then I'm in the promised land. Now, on the other hand, if I get my agenda done and I don't spend time loving you and I don't spend time loving people, but I'm just going to wander around the whole way. So I mean, every single day, it's like, God, here I am. Here I am. Whatever else I get done today. 
I go to school, if I do this and practice and all these kind of things, help me to do two things. Help me to, help me to spend time loving you and help me to spend time loving some other people. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us and we're going to segue in the other campuses. You guys are going to segue right into the Lord's Supper and they'll tell you kind of how they're going to do it and then I'll tell you how we're going to do it as well at the Arden campus, all right? So Father, we want to thank you for the fact we can love people because you loved us first. Love wasn't even our idea. Love was your idea, and you proved it. God, I pray that today if, if somebody's like, you know what, I don't have the marks of that. I don't have any of those marks in 1 John at all. God, I pray so much today will be the day they turn and embrace Jesus by faith. Right there in their chair, they're like, you know what, I want Jesus. If that's the kind of God that would be a giver and give to me and love me in spite of all my junk, that's the God I want. That's the God I've been looking for. And they would repent and believe that what you did on the cross somehow counted for them. And today would be the day they pass from death into life. Got to pray for next uh, Sunday afternoon. I pray that by the thousands, there would be conversations that take place across the 828. God, thanks for a church that just takes the Great Commission seriously and takes the Great Commandment seriously. God, our prayer is that we would be able to join in a conversation that you're already having with people all over our community. God, again, thank you for blessing us so we can bless some other people. Thanks for the mercy of God. May we respond to that, not just in the Lord's Supper, but also in the way that we minister our families, minister to our church family, minister to our neighborhoods and our schools. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.